Start over. Start over. Push stop. Push stop. <laughs> beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. All right, it started over. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Now try. Hello. <laughs> I can't look at you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Malaga Before Believing, where we have no idea what we're doing because we're colossal failures. <laughs> I'm Pastor Patrick, the failure pastor of Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. I'm Brian Gumpy, staring at the hands <laughs> over Pat's eyes because he can't make eye contact with me. <laughs> Because we fail. We fail as podcasters. I can't even get words out without laughing and cracking wise. That's fine. Ryan. Do you hear the echo? Yeah. We're in the church. Because we're not at my house. We've never done this before. We did it once before. But we didn't ever do this before. This is a new thing. Except for that one time we did it before. (laughs) (laughs) That I didn't remember and you had to remind me of. Hey, dude. We're not in my bedroom. That's not weird. That we're not in my bedroom? No, it's not weird that we're not that in my bedroom. we've done this in your bedroom. Like a hundred times. No, it has not been a hundred. Episodes. We're on 92 right now, I think. 93? I don't know. Anyway. Hey, 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 hey. Have you seen Umbrella Academy yet? No. I'm what? a colossal failure. You are a colossal failure in many ways. But what you need to do is watch Umbrella Academy. Oh, my lands. What a... Fantastic show that is. You know, I've been... So, I don't ever read fiction. <laughs> and so, I somebody yeah, somebody has been encouraging me to. So, I've been reading Stephen King book. And so, I haven't been watching a lot of TV. Okay. I've been reading Pet Cemetery. Okay. So, you can pause that. Okay. And you should go watch the show. I did pause it to watch Punisher. Okay. I, I Season saw two. So, I started season two of Punisher... And this is more compelling. I enjoy this way more than I did Punisher. What I've seen of Punisher season two. I can believe it. Yeah. So. So what's your point? What? What do you What do you bring this up for? I want you to watch it. Okay. Jared at Secret Trail the other day said we should watch it too, and I told him I already did. And he's like, "How far are you?" And I said, "I'm on season, episode eight. And he said, "All right. When you're all done, we got to talk." And I get it. It is a great show. All right. Now, the character I liked the most was not the character I expected liking the most going in. Do you want me to give you any spoilers? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you were going to say yes. No. You know why? Because I'm going to watch it. Because I want to tell you. So I'm going to tell you anyways. Wow. <laughs> There's this guy. You're a piece of work. No, this isn't really a spoiler. Except that you know nothing about the show, so anything I tell you is inevitably going to be a spoiler. So it's a superhero show. And the character I like the best, his name is Klaus. That's all I'm going to tell you. So when you see Klaus, you'll have to figure out why I think he's the best character. Okay. All right? All right. Hey, guess what, dude? Why are we colossal failures? No, we're not there yet. Hold on. We're we're a success in one sense because we have a studio audience. That's true. We got Coin Michael Wiley with us and his wife, Logan. (laughs) Hey, give me what's up, guys. Bye. Nice. Uh, he was giving me the business earlier. He didn't want me to even mention his That's why he waved to the microphone. I know, yeah. (laughs) Studio audience, there was a wave involved. I think they heard Logan. I was this close to getting a spick take just now. (laughs) This close. 
Oh, man. Were you waiting? Because I can't no. see him because my no. back's too <laughs> No, that was a happy accident. They had to move back because he was afraid he was going <laughs> to... Good thing we would have been in the splash zone. <laughs> Give me a little whisper in my microphone. <laughs> Give me some sweet nothings. <laughs> what is that anyways? What is sweet nothings? Have you heard that phrase before? Yes, I've heard that phrase what is, before. Okay, I honestly... Okay, I kind of think it's just like this. Like you blow a little sweet nothing in somebody's ear, and that's like some kind of amorous, so, hey, I love you. So I was, I was in a play once, and I was <laughs> supposed to like have like this love interest, and we were supposed to be like, like at the back of the scene, sitting on some park bench, just being real sweet with each other. And so I had to like lean over oh, and be all smiling. And I had to I had to whisper in her ear. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could remember what I whispered in her ear, mm-hmm. but it was basically the most like like infantile nonsense that I could imagine. So that I was just trying to get her to break character yeah, the yeah, whole time. Yeah. She actually punched me every time we got off stage. <laughs> it was pretty great. What, so did you do the sweet nothings? Yeah. I can't remember what they were though. You could have done that. I didn't think that would be great. I didn't think to do that. No, you hadn't seen those old Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. <laughs> so the video that you showed me right before we recorded to 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 get the to compare and contrast to your coin voice and the actual coin. Dude, it's spot on, right? It's spot on. But the intro to the video, it's like the coin mummy. Dot 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 dot. From dot, 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 dot. They definitely use like like iMovie from like 2004 or something. That's all right. And then it said, I'm not judging them. Then it said Scobby-Doo, dot, 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 S-C-O-B-B-Y. And you're waiting for some ska? No. Scabs? Why are we colossal failures? Oh, way to bring it down. I'm not bringing it down. I just, I'm curious. You can't just float that nonsense and then, like, wait. It was what you opened the episode with. You're the one who brought it up, not me. I did fail, though, at the <sighs> beginning of this episode quite colossally. I laughed so much. Yeah. It was like two minutes of laughter. You want to know a secret? I, I didn't actually restart the recording. Well, I know. Your boopty boopty boopties <laughs> told me that. You made that noise like you're a bunch of buttons. Yeah. Okay, failure. So I was thinking about it this week, okay? So I... In, in my mind, and there, a part of the reason, here's a, a lesson in the way I think, folks. So part of the reason why I was thinking about this was I was thinking about Peter's denial and that failure. And I was kind of contemplating why it resonates so much with me. And it doesn't seem to with some other people. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. But I was, so I was thinking about that and thinking through those things. And then I started considering some like current evangelical kind of um, debates that are going on and just how when people are confronted, they, they like to double down, dig in their heels. What's some more euphemisms of that kind of, you know, uh, making sure that, you, you know, not, not given an inch that kind of thing. See, I got another one. Do you got one? No. Okay. But well, I'm kind of on the spot right now. I know. I know. I like to do that to you. So I was thinking about that. and Grit their teeth? No, that doesn't go. Anyway. Intestinal fortitude? Maybe. No, that doesn't go. Depends on context. That means they have guts. Yeah. That's just the British way of saying guts because they are wordy. Drag their feet? Drag their feet? I don't know. No, they didn't give an inch. They're digging in. 
Well, tell me more context and maybe I'll think of some. Okay, so they when, when you're confronted with an error, you, you don't like to acknowledge it per se. The, so I think there's something within all of us that is opposed to failure, that is just we don't want to deal with it. And I think in our broader culture today, this, I think Instagram is a great example of this. Is you, Do you ever see failure on Instagram? Every time I do, people are posting it with, oh, Instagram is where everyone tries to look all perfect all the time. So here's me being a failure. Which is really not being a failure because you're putting of, it out there. Right, kind of. Right. It's like, oh, like just going to be transparent a here. A humble brag. Kind of. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's genuine, but it definitely comes across. Like if you have to talk about how, hey, everyone's always so perfect on Instagram, so here's me not being perfect, like you're hedging. Just, yeah. Just post it. Don't explain it. Just post it. Don't but explain it. But I, I don't know. I The other thing too is I feel like people really try to – or people really tend to harp on all the picture perfect stuff on Instagram and social media in general. And it's like, well, yeah, you had multiple tries to take that picture. Like, well, I'm not intending to harp on it. I'm saying that, I, that the, I think they're so popular because that's a unspoken, unconscious tendency within all of us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not opposed to it. I do it, you know? So, but, but I think that, it, it reveals subconsciously the fact that we are predisposed to avoid failure and sure. to avoid acknowledging failure. Uh, here's a good example. I, and this is within our own circle, Christian circles. Well, maybe not yours. It, I was, I, I, are they not the same? Well, this particular one is not. Okay. <laughs> so we used to homeschool our kids. Ah, yeah. Touche. I'm out. Yep, you're out. We used to homeschool our kids. And no, there's, I'm not opposed to that at all. There's definitely what do you mean a, by that? A time and a place, and there's certain people that can do it, and certain people that shouldn't. And we did it for a season, and it was good. And then it wasn't for a season, and we should have quit. Anyways, the we were we were coordinators in this local group, and um, I, being a preacher and being a pastor and being a coordinator, was asked to speak at several different events and things like that. And the very last one that I was asked to speak at was was a huge one. There was like probably two, three hundred people there. It was a graduation, and I was given a little five-minute slot in the graduation ceremony to talk about something. Now, if you know anything about homeschool circles, they're they're not predisposed, just like all other sinners, to talk about their failures. In fact, the very first homeschool conference I ever went to, the main speaker said, the reason we homeschool is so that we can raise our kids to be the best at whatever they're at. The best archaeologist, the best lawyer, the best dentist, the best forklift driver, whatever it is. Don't you have to be the best teacher in order for homeschooling to be the route for that to... Well, this dude for sure thought he was the best. Anyway. So it didn't have anything to do... That's not what we're talking about. No, no, no. I know. It didn't have anything to do with glorifying God. You know, we're trying to worship God with lives, trying to build Christian character. It was literally the best. And we want to take over all these different areas so that we can show we're the best at them. That was the message. So... 
that always stuck with me and not in a good positive way. I always kind of pressed against that when I was talking with certain people who I felt that bravado coming out of. And so I had this very last opportunity to speak at one of these things. And so I got up and I, I started with, I am a failure at this homeschooling. And, you know, I just am. And you know what? You're all failures too. And one of the things that we never, ever talk about here in our homeschooling circles, I have never heard it, but I think you need to hear it, is that you need to teach your kids how to fail because you're all sinners and I'm a sinner. And we need to teach our kids how to repent when they sin. And if we teach them how to be the best, if we teach them how to be, you know, to, to just buck up and be better, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, we're not teaching them how to repent Therefore, we're not teaching them how to honor God with a major part of their lives. So we should be experts in failure and experts in repentance. Oh my gosh. Dead, dead, dead silence. I sat down. No, no, there was no clap. Nope. There was none. Afterwards, nobody came up and talked with me. Nobody. I was standing like in a prominent place in the back and normally people would just come up and chat it up with you, right? Nope. Nobody would come up to me. Nobody made eye contact. When I was walking to my car, there was one woman who kind of grabbed on my arm and was like, I've never heard anybody say anything like that at these things. I think I needed to hear it. Not thank you, but I think I needed to hear it. And that for me, everything confirmed everything that I had said. Sure. Everybody needed to hear that message. Now, it, I'm not popular for having said that. None of those people talk to me anymore, you know. Uh, tomorrow's my birthday, so I will be very surprised if any of them even wish me a happy birthday on the Facebook. So that, that's, in my mind, that's how ostracizing that message that I gave was. So what my point in all this and coming back around is that I, I think it behooves us as Christians to be, um, you know, we looked at this passage in First Timothy where it talks about that our, our aim for correcting error and doctrine should come from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And, and that pure heart is a, a, literally a repentant heart, one that's quick to seek repentance, one that's quick to acknowledge wrong. And that means that we're, we're basically people who are failures. So yeah, when we it's started, like expected and understood. It's expected and understood. And so I think that there is an element, I think for the people who listen to this and the people who know us and the people who don't who listen or however you get this, that there's an element where Christians really should be the ones who, this is a weird way to say it, but I'm going to say it anyways, the most braggadocious about their failures. And what I don't mean is that we're cocky about it, we're proud of it, but what I mean is that we're able to lay it out there and speak about our failures and talk about them. Now, there's a time and a place, right? There's certain things that, in certain contexts, it's probably not wise to bring up. You want an example? Yeah. Okay. Sounds interesting. It is, uh, eh, not, in the, not in the good way. Am I going to get secondhand embarrassment? No. No, this has nothing to do. It was a decade before I knew you. I think literally a decade before, maybe maybe eleven years before I knew you. So I was back in Bible college, and there was this one guy 
and he was on the security team, if I remember right. And anyways, he um, was lusting after another guy's wife who lived off campus, and she would come onto campus. He worked, the, the husband did. She went to school there, so the husband was never really there off very much. But this security guard was like looking at her, gave her the eyes or whatnot. And so he got in his head, he needs to go confess his sin to her. So he goes to her and he says, hey, I want to ask you for forgiveness for this because I've been lusting after you. Well, guess what happened? A month and a half down the road, they're shacking up together. Mm -hmm. And they're off. The marriage is blown up. So there's a time and a place not to <laughs> go and air your dirty laundry, right? Now, that's an extreme example, right? That's a, I, I've never heard of anything happening like that since um, in my own personal circles. But definitely we want to be people who are quick to repent. So what I mean by that is that my failure, it, it, unfortunately, there's the guilt that's associated with my failure keeps me from oftentimes coming to people and asking them for forgiveness. So <clears throat> I've tried to make it an effort over the years that when I feel like I've done somebody wrong to actually go right to them and say, hey, I, th I think I had a bad attitude about this. I think I came across wrong. Are we cool? Are we not? Did I, you know, did I say something wrong? And when somebody does have something against me, which it's weird, it's like I would expect more, more often people would come to me and say, hey, you sinned in this area because I know I sin a lot. But when people do come to me that I'd be, quick to listen, quick to think about it, and to receive it. And I, it, it is, if we do this, I think it's one of the things that makes the church attractive to right. people. So why? What, a couple things. Like why is it so important that people, or Christians specifically, are so quick to repent, so quick to admit their wrongs? And second, which I think will <clears throat> answer the second question, why? Like, why does it make Christianity so attractive? Mm. So why should we do it? Because we are all sinners. And by acknowledging my sin or my wrongdoing or however I want to phrase it, acknowledging my failure, I'm acknowledging, well, I should be acknowledging that Christ died for those sins. I should be um, pointing people to Christ through my acknowledgement of my failure. I am not what I should be because of my sin. Christ is everything for me because he has no sin. You see, so the why that we should be quick to um, confess our failures is because it, it's, it points to Christ and it points to his work in my life. It points to his work in your life. It points to his work in the life of the, the rest of the church. Why is it attractive to people? Because, well, I think several reasons. One, it, it communicates a vulnerability. And one of the things that's lacking in our modern world, I think a part of it is social media. It's true. It has a hand in causing this and other reasons too, probably. But that we, it's very hard to be vulnerable. I heard a statistic um, the other day, and I can't remember who. I'd love to source it, but I can't remember where. I think it was Al Mohler, actually, in the briefing. But um, he said that 63%, or whoever said 63 I remember the quote, though. 63% of kids, people, 
under the age of 21 today have no one older in their life that they talk to. So older than them, 63% of people under the age of 21 don't have somebody older in their life that they go and regularly talk to. That's not parents. That's not teachers. And so the reason this came up in this thing I was listening to is because of the boom of therapy. Right. Is that kids this age or young people this age are flocking to the therapist. And an underlying factor is they don't have anybody to talk to. And they don't have anybody to model failure for them. They don't have anybody who can who they can look to and see, oh, this is how failure looks. This is how it looks like when you do something wrong. Instead, they bottle everything up. They keep looking good on whatever social media platform, and eventually it's going to blow up. Why do you think that is? Like, do you think that's always been, obviously the boom in therapy is new, but do you think <clears throat> that there is a significant amount of people 21 and under that didn't have somebody older that they were talking to and that were just now noticing it? Or do you think that's a new trend? I think it's a new-ish trend. Okay, I think why? within the last like 20 years. Well, I think it's the failure of the church. That, that, that's, the, the church is the place, along with the family, where those relationships should have been built. I mean, you look at our church as a great example. I am the oldest guy here, like by far. Yeah. I, th I think I'm like six years older than Joel or something like that, seven mm -hmm. maybe. He's not even 40 yet, I don't think. No. Yeah, so I'm 46 tomorrow. So, wow. I know, right? So I'm. It shouldn't be like that. Yeah. And, and I'm admitting that this is. I'm admitting a failure right here. Somehow, in some way, we haven't had the ability to have older people who we can look to to mentor us, to mentor me. I've sought it. I believe me. I've desperately sought it in other guys, and there's been all kinds of problems with other people who haven't, you know, been able to mentor me and whatnot. But we just haven't been able to retain older people here in our church. And a lot of it is because, well, they see the youth, they see, you know, we, I mean, we've had people come and go who just feel awkward because they're the only older people. Right. And yet we're like, no, please stay. We need you. We need your wisdom. And, and, you know, I've heard them say before, well, we don't know the Bible as well as you guys. So what? Mm -hmm. You know, life better than us. You know, God may be better than us. I mean, you've walked with him maybe longer than, than we have. And maybe you haven't. But that's okay. I need you in my life. And so I see that as being a major problem. So as being a cause is that the church has failed. And if the church had been, rather than rushing around looking for, you know, how can we attract more people? How can you get more people and more people, more people, more people? Well, a church of, you know, 13,000 people is not conducive for healthy relationships. You know, healthy relationships form in smaller groups. And so I think that if we allowed the church to be the church and to be small and to be healthy and to be, you know, one homogenous unit with older people, younger people, and all of that, I, I, I think that there would be... So I'm, I'm blaming the church growth movement, Got I it. think, a lot of it. I'm, I'm blaming the, the, the failure in churches to just be content to disciple the way the Bible says. So, okay. So admitting our failures um, points to our need for a savior. Um, and we as Christians are vulnerable in a way that the world is not used to seeing. And in that sense, it makes it like 
Christianity more attractive. Yeah, let me give you another example with you. Okay. So you at work like to say, hey, what's this person lousy at? Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so And you're not trying to make them feel stupid or no. demonic or an idiot or whatever it is, no. right? No. The, what, what's the whole point of you doing that? So I try to make it so that it's understood that everybody is terrible at something. Mm-hmm. And I try to take the, um, the stigma off of talking about failure. And exactly. so what I do, <clears throat> so just to give other people context, uh, I always, when someone at work is training somebody who's new, I always walk up to the person who's training them and be like, oh, hey, so you're training, like, let's say, like, Julie. <clears throat> Love her. Yeah, she's great. I don't have an employee named Julie. Anyway, uh, so you're training Julie. I'm going to ask, so what's Julie amazing at? And they're going to be like, oh, she's so great at talking to customers. And she makes drinks that are like perfect every time, blah, blah. blah. She's just so fun to work. And okay, great. That's enough. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll go. I love you, by what, the way. Thanks. What, uh. What is Julie absolute garbage at? And I always say it that way. I never say, what does Julie need to work on? What does she need to improve? What, what could Julie do better? What does her skill set lack? Because what happens is people are going to tell like 90% of the truth. And all of the action, all of the good stuff happens in like mm-hmm. that 10% that they hold back. Mm-hmm. And so if I say, what is she garbage at? then I'm the jerk. I'm the one who's going to say, like, she's terrible. But it gives you the opportunity in the opening to say, like, hey, she could be a lot faster. Or um, she gets lost and, like, doesn't keep focus for more than 10 minutes at a time. Uh, Shiny objects are I'm, a problem. I'm the one who said it's garbage, it's trash, it's whatever, and mm-hmm. I just open the door. I'm the jerk. Now you can tell them the truth. So, well, well that's, but that's still only a means to the end. Sure. And the end is But that's failure. why I do it that way. Right, right. No, I get it. That's that's what I'm getting at. The point is that failure's okay. Oh yeah. That that in fact it's it's, a, it's expected, it. understood, yeah. anticipated. Yeah. 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 And so I in the church I think we've we've done a disservice to people by not allowing there to be an atmosphere of failure. That it, it you know, that we put on a really good mask. We, because there are passages that talk about holiness, that talk about righteousness, that it's assumed that you have to be perfect. Good. You know? Okay. So this is kind of where my question was going. Is there the potential to do a pendulum swing and over-celebrate failure? Oh, 100%. 100%. In fact, I mentioned a little while ago a book that I had read called uh, Messy Spirituality. Uh-huh. I love the title. Did not love the book. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what they were doing in that book, is they were encouraging the church to become a place where failure was celebrated. So you really screwed something up. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. And there was not a call to repentance and to faith or not a call to holiness, but it was really a permission to just to just flaunt your sin. So when we talk about failure, what we're talking about is not that we're just flaunting our sin. We want to do right. You know, that the word sin comes from an archery term, right? Mm-hmm. To sin is to miss the mark, right? But the problem with people isn't that we're trying desperately hard to hit the mark. 
right? And letting the arrow go. The problem is, is I'm trying to shoot you and I'm trying to shoot Mike back there and I'm trying to shoot that candle and it's like I'm not even interested in the mark. So my sin is so great that I'm like shooting it everywhere but where I'm supposed to. So what creating this atmosphere of being it okay to fail is doing is for us to be able to come alongside and as it were, be an archery coach and say, wait a second, here's the target. This is what we're aiming at and start, you know, shooting for that. So yeah, oh no, I blew it. Oh yeah, I was doing this wrong. Oh yeah, this I was out of line. Yeah, I really was trying to do this wrong. But the that's not an end in and of itself. We're not celebrating that and saying, hooray for you. You were so brave. You admitted your sin. You had an arrow. You, yeah, yeah. You're right. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, yeah, failure, but you know what? Christ died for those sins and now has given us the power to move from there and move past them. The thing is, some people, you know, they're going to struggle with something for, you know, 15 years and they're going to feel like a failure over and 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 over ad nauseum in this one area. But the Lord is working in all these other areas too and is growing them and strengthening them. And so they're overcoming failures. The problem is a lot of times we focus on the one area we fail at. And it's like, a, you know, a magnifying glass is on it. But we're actually growing in sanctification. And the Lord will one day work with us in that particular area as well. But if we're going to be a church that is gracious, that is long-suffering, that is all of the things that Christ is towards us, then we need to be okay when somebody fails and falls into sin and be quick to be there to help them up and to help them along, right? That's what Galatians chapter 6 says, that we should bear one another's burdens, being careful lest we ourselves succumb to that very same sin, right? right. So we want to be watchful, but at the same time, we want to be right there picking each other up. So failure is kind of something we should expect in the church. And, and I think that if people are striving, you know, they're, they're, not, they're knocking down the doors of therapists to go in there and and have this person, whoever they are, some rando, talk them through their issues, the church should be there because they're never going to find the answers in those places. No. They'll find a Band-Aid for a gaping wound that won't stop bleeding. At and, best, a, a therapist is going to treat symptoms. Like, at best. Right, right. And what, what we're trying to advocate here is that our sin is our failure, and Christ is the solution. And that is not, I mean, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Let's be honest. It isn't a gaping wound that's bleeding. You're dead. And Christ comes along and he breathes new life into you. He gives you a heart that pumps with new life and vitality and affections. and, And now you're a new creature. That's why it's called being born again in Christ. And so what we want to do is have, hopefully we want to have a place in the church where people can come with their failures, with their sin, that were eight, they know they're not going to get thrown out the front door because of their sin or the back door or whatever door, but instead they're going to be the trap door. The trap door. <laughs> they're gonna that big crook's gonna come yeah. on the stage and haul them off. But instead they're going to be loved. They're going to be taken care of. They're going to be encouraged. And they're going to be watched out for, right? I mean, we, we, we need to watch out for one another. And so that means if I see somebody who has failed in this one particular area and they're getting a little squirrely and kind of starting to veer over that path again, I want to be sure that I'm there to be able to say, ho, 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 come on this way and correct them and 
bring them back. That's loving. And if I have treated them with grace previously, they're going to be receptive when I bring them back again, hopefully. I love the analogy of the archery coach because when you think about it and apply it to pastors in a church, uh, if your job as a coach is to take people who aren't great at archery and to make them better, why would a pastor, like I said, to carry over this analogy, why would you be appalled when somebody needs coaching? <laughs> like, like, why would you be shocked, surprised, scandalized, whatever else? Like, that's why they're there. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why you are there. Like, I, right. it, and, but that's what we see so much of the time. That's why I've said multiple times on this podcast that the, this is the reason why I was attracted to Sovereign Joy, stayed at Sovereign Joy, and it's the thing I'm most passionate about here at Sovereign Joy, is that not only do we talk a lot about grace, we practice grace. Yeah. Well, that's Jesus. You know, we're, we're, I, I mean it every time we want Jesus to, we want people to know Jesus better and love him more than they did when they came in, or they have an interaction with us. And it might be the tiniest little minuscule inkling of a part, or it might be in a great huge way and the Lord causes them to become born again. But, but one way or another, by hook or by crook, nice. <laughs> we, want to, we want people to know Jesus better because he's the most gracious being that there is. And he's the one who's forgive us, forgiven us of our sins and cleansed us of all of our unrighteousness. And so it behooves me as a, I mean, a pastor is a coach. Yeah, that, that'd be a modern equivalent, I guess. I mean, there's probably, it's probably not one-to-one -one correspondence, but it makes no, sense sure not. Yeah. That, that that would be a way we would talk about it today. Because I'm really, I'm really coaching you to see Jesus better, to know him more, to love him more. I want you to see him in a greater way because I want you to know him better. And the best that you can ever be is the most in love with Jesus, you know? And so if, if, that's, if that's what I accomplish at the end of the day is that you love Jesus more, then praise God. Then th this is why we would want to be people who are encouraging um, to express your failure and to talk about it so that we can point you to the real solution for that failure. It's never going to come through therapy. It's not going to come through, you know, any other source. Uh, even if you're hanging out with your friends and your peers, it, it's not going to come. You need Jesus. And yeah, I feel like even the unbelievers who may listen to this podcast may be able to understand and relate to having a very close friend, um, maybe even a spouse who knows their failure knows their uh, their warts and loves them anyway and how great that that can feel. But with Jesus, you don't just have somebody who has that knowledge of how far off you are, how terrible you are and loves you anyway. They actually take the guilt away. Mm -hmm. Jesus actually takes the guilt away mm -hmm. and he's making you new. Mm -hmm. It <laughs> So as much as you think you get it, you don't get it. Yeah. Well, as much, that's a good point, because as much as I love you and know you and, and vice versa, it, it, it's nothing without Christ, and it's nothing compared to Christ. And same way with, my, with our wives. Yeah. It, it's nothing like Christ, and it's nothing without Christ. Um, we, we, we need him 
because he's the chief and best of all beings. <laughs> it's true, man. Like, like you said, it's nothing like Christ, but then it's nothing without Christ. Mm -hmm. That's another part that I think would be hard for an unbeliever to wrap their head around. But like the way I treat my wife, treat my best friend, treat my brother and my mom and everyone else, it looks a lot different without Jesus. <laughs> a lot different. Yeah. Like without me being forgiven and knowing like the, the depths of my heart, knowing how wicked I truly am, but how greatly I've been forgiven and the grace that I've been shown, it's just out of sheer gratitude that I am the way that I am. Hmm. That's it. Yeah. And you take that gratitude away, I'm a monster, dude. That's why thankfulness is something that Paul points out in Romans chapter 1 is one of the chiefest and greatest sins of man. Thanklessness, I mean. He says that we should be thankful people. And that was something that early, early on as a Christian struck me. It's like, thankful? Like, that's, God is really upset that we're not thankful? It sounds like good manners, right? Right, right. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Thanks. Elbows off the table. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the Capri Sun, Mom. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, thankfulness to the Lord because he is everything. Without him, we're nothing. Hmm. It's good stuff, man. Yeah. Hey, do you want a question of the day? I really do. Okay. Here's my question of the day. I'm making this up as I go. I can tell you haven't broken eye contact. Is that what happens when I don't know what I'm doing? Is I just I stare at you yeah. so you get uncomfortable? <laughs> I just see the Here's wheels the question turning. Of the day. Brian, are you uncomfortable? No. No. It takes a lot more than that. Okay. This is something I have actually thought about this week. All right. Okay. So this isn't just like out of the blue. What is, what is one food that you have never tried, but you desperately want to try. Okay, here's mine. So this week, I wanted to try Drunken Dumpling mm -hmm. because they have that. I'm going to get the name wrong. It's a dumpling. It's like Balmai or something like Bao? that. Balmai? I don't know. Uh, I forget what it bon is. Me? Bon me, maybe. That's what it is. Vietnamese? Words are hard. Yeah. Well, so, um, Especially words that aren't English. <laughs> well, I just say words. It don't matter what language yeah. they're in. I just say words. So anyways, I really wanted to try that because I knew I'd never had it before and I never had anything like it. So yesterday I went over to Secret Trail and my daughter, she babysits for the drunk dumpling truck people. They're so good. But anyways. You didn't know that the, the food truck was a drunk dumpling? I did. No, no, I know. But if you're just listening. If you're just listening. And those drunk know. dumpling people. <laughs> No, it's a food truck. They're, They're dumpling people who just drink too much. <laughs> They're short round like me. I'm a dumpling short, person. <laughs> short round. Oh, my God. Dr. Jones. Anyway, go ahead. So. so I went and had that yesterday. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. So I had ticked a box of a food that I'd never had that I wanted. Got it. Yeah. How about you? So the only one that comes to mind, and since you're keeping it local, I'll keep it local too. Big Hot Crab. I still haven't tried Big oh, Hot Crab. Oh, we got to go to Big Hot Crab. With Caesar. With Caesar would be excellent. Yeah, apparently Without him would he be, like has his own booth there or something. He knows them. Yeah, he he's hitting them. good there. Yeah, we need to go with him. Okay, here's another one that I want to try that I've never had. I want to try squid. Mm -hmm. I've had octopus, but I hear squid is actually better. And it might be in just how you have to prepare it, but... Did, I want to try that. Did you and me ever have the ostrich burgers? No. Oh, gosh. We got to do Red that. Red Rum Burger, yeah, right? And in Davis. Davis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, like, oh. we're, bird, we're, we're ships in the night. What's the 
You started by saying we're birds. We're birds. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Brian, we're birds. (laughs) Oh, boy. Stop talking. Birds are ships, boys and girls. We believe you belong. (laughs)